Hey everybody, welcome to the OK Guard Show. I'm Staff Sergeant Brian Schroeder. And I'm Leanna Machino. And this month's topic is a very heavy topic. We're focusing on suicide awareness and prevention for Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. So this month we have a special guest to introduce the show. So why don't we go ahead and jump into it and uh, we hope you enjoy the show. I am Major General Mike Thompson, the Adjutant General for the Oklahoma National Guard. This subject of suicide is near and dear to my heart. It's something that I think that we all working together can do something about. Uh, in the military, as in life, it's more important about what you do versus what you say. And what I'm asking you to do is really take an interest in your battle buddy. Be willing to be an ear when someone needs to visit with you. Be willing to be a part of that soldier or family member's life to help them get through this crisis. Together, I think that we can all make a difference. Thank you. Let's start off and we'll just go from left to right here, my left uh, to right. Um, give me your name, your title, uh, kind of where you work and what you do with the National Guard. Okay. Uh, Captain Bill Dykus, I am a behavioral health officer with the 700 BSB uh, IBCT in Norman. Okay. Um, I'm Amber McCoy, I'm the alcohol and drug control officer, um, also known as the ADCO. Um, and I manage the suicide prevention program. Okay. I'm Michelle Burris. I'm an LPC and behavioral health specialist for the Guard. We coordinate behavioral health services for soldiers and their families. Okay. All very important roles and, and uh, things that we can offer that the National Guard offers for soldiers uh, as well. Um, so why, why are your roles important to what we do in the National Guard? It's a very big question. I, I uh, well, so for me, I um, basically run the substance abuse program. Um, I work, you know, really close with the drug training coordinator. Um, so obviously, we want our soldiers to be healthy and not on substances. And um, you know, commonly known suicide happens usually when they're under substances. So not only are we saving soldiers who are testing positive for THC or whatnot, but we're also looking at that point too to build a more resilient force. Sure. So. Okay. Michelle, what about uh, the services that your your office offers? We do a whole lot of psychoeducation, um, giving information to soldiers regarding brain health, and um, I, on a constant basis, try to uh, keep it relevant within what they experience in the guard as well as their civilian life with their brain health. Okay, psychoeducation, that kind of sounds like learning about a movie, psycho. No, <laughs> okay. about, it's about your brain and the chemicals in your brain and how they're affected by certain things we do in our life. If you have a brain, okay. then you might be susceptible to depression and other, si other, other things, so. Sure. Okay, sir, and then from um, your role with the BSB, kind of explain a little bit of what you do uh, in the National Guard? So behavioral health officers have uh, a number of primary tasks that, that we focus on. Um, we provide, again, psychoeducational information. Um, we do briefings uh, really focused on building resiliency in uh, the force and trying to help them maximize readiness 
um, for for the for the soldiers that that we're with. Um, we're actually embedded at a company level, um, so we have uh, companies, battalions, brigades that we uh, are in with. They see us on a regular basis. Um, it's really a a big part of that is normalizing the presence and the importance of behavioral health as a part of overall health and well-being uh, in in our lives. Uh, we act as uh, consultants for commanders at the company, battalion, brigade level uh, regarding the uh, mental health and, and readiness of the soldiers that we come into contact with. Um, they will come to us if, if there is a concern. Um, and while we do not provide ongoing treatment, uh, we do crisis intervention, uh, crisis evaluations. We can facilitate uh, treatment uh, that may be more urgent. Is there one of you in every company level or with every company in the National Guard? Uh, no, we are uh, kind of spread out. We have uh, not, not every unit has one, but we generally try to have one assigned to every brigade, um, at least one. And so we're kind of spread out around the state. Uh, we have uh, officers in, like I said, the IBCT uh, out in Mustang with uh, Fires Brigade uh, in uh, over in Broken Arrow and uh, also in MedDet at okay. uh, 90th Troop Command. And, okay. and we tag team. We have yes. th There are three behavioral health specialists for the state. And so during um, weekday hours, we are working alongside the BHOs um, and continuing to help the soldiers that they may have seen during drill. And so um, it's a collective effort with regard to behavioral health. Okay, Absolutely. that's excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, so September is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month, um, and it's a big, heavy topic every year that comes around. But it's also a very important to topic to discuss. So, why is the subject of mental health important? Well, I everyone has a brain, therefore we're all susceptible to our chemicals being low and feeling certain emotions. And I think the more information we have about managing our emotional health, the better, the more resilient we can be. Sure. And with regard to suicide prevention, I think normalizing some negative feelings that, you, that might occur based on your brain health um, helps people have the opportunity to reach out and not feel the stigma of being an outcast if they're f having these negative feelings. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes I feel like the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz, if I only had a brain. But everybody does have a brain, mm -hmm. like I said. And, and this idea of mental health is getting better in society, that people actually seeing the benefits of that. But there's still a long way to go with making this a very common, commonplace thing. So why do you think that stigma exists? Why is it showing weakness to say that I need help 
with the brain that I have. Well, wouldn't it be nice if mental health was looked at as regular fitness and losing weight? Wouldn't that be a perfect world? Sure. But um, I think what it is is because you can't see it. It's just not. It's just not a tangible thing that you can touch, um, and that makes it scary. How do you know that you're doing the right thing? It's almost like being a parent. How do you know you're doing the right thing? How do you How do you know you're going the right direction and with the right resources? Um, and how can you absolutely make sure that you understand where that person is coming from? Um, I think that's a lot of the reason why it is so scary from from a person from the outside trying to help is um, are we getting the full aspect? Are we really truly understanding what's happening? Um, and then putting trust into somebody to understand what you're trying to tell them of your problem is really scary. Uh, you know, how many of us had to ask, you know, our parents for help to pay our electric bill or our rent or, you know, whatever it was. And that pride, you know, that sense of pride, not only does your brain already feel like it's in a whirlwind, but now you have to swallow what little bit of pride you have left and admit that something's just not right and, and that you do need extra help. Um, it's just the point of you can either continue down to the spiraling and not get the help, um, or you can get it and be more resilient and, and move on from it and, and continue to grow in your career. Um, unfortunately, those are the, you know, the two options that are, that's scary. It's, that could be very, very scary for somebody. I do think, though, um, that there is example out there regarding those who are brave enough to step up and say they need help, and now we're, it's becoming more prevalent, and they're becoming models for uh, mental fitness and recovery, mm -hmm. and then they're able to mentor at the unit level with other soldiers, and I think the more that we see this happen will help evolve the environment and lessen the stigma. You know, and another thing that's, that is kind of uh, crazy is that we are such a social world, like now. We yes. can't keep anything to ourselves. You walk out onto a drill floor and you're hearing about everything under the sun that's happening under somebody's roof. Um, but as soon as it's a mental health question, it's buttoned up uh, very, very quickly. It's a very personal um, issue. Uh, so if we could... Um, make it a little easier for people to want to come forward, which is why we created the Critical Behavior Health Incident Report on GKO, and it's accessible on the personal personal site. So it is for family members, it is for service members, it's for their children, um, so that it would be easier for them to report, yeah. or a battle buddy to report for their battle buddy, or you know, a, a, a spouse to report their other spouse, whichever it is, so they can get the proper help. But sometimes making the phone call is a lot harder than just typing it in because we're so used to just being the keyboard warrior. Sure. Um, so we made that a little bit more accessible in hopes that we can maybe figure out how to grasp the community that we have now because it's changed, it's evolved. That's outstanding. Yeah. So we'll we'll make uh, access to that. We'll we'll put a link to that in our show notes, so Great. that our listening or viewing audience can can get access to that and see where that's at. That's, sure. That's and additionally, the uh, National Veterans Crisis Line, which is available for 
active duty personnel as well. Um, that also has now a chat option that you can either go through the website or on your phone. You can actually chat with the um, representatives mm -hmm. instead of making that phone call. That's excellent because that's that's kind of the the hard realization for a lot of people. Once you verbalize something, then it's out there. But being able to just type, you're not actually saying, but you are putting out what's going on in your brain. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's easier. Right. You know, you see people in chat rooms or, you know, uh, message boards and things like that, different social media outlets. It's easier for them to type, but if they had to say those things, it may be a little different. So that's, that's an excellent resource for people to use. Yeah. One thing you said uh, earlier, um, Michelle, is that the, the people that have come forward, you, you consider them to be brave. They are very brave. But does that, is a lot of the, the stigma from mental health, is it the fact that people are cowards and don't want to come through? Is it more the pride thing? Um, it, um, if you're still stuck in that, that, that headspace of... You know, well, I think that people um, judge situations by how they were handled in the past. And before we had, brain science is relatively new. And um, in the past, it was a stigma to say that you might have a mental health problem in the military. And so it, it, took, it will take somebody stepping up and being, I say brave in that, um, that this is a new way of dealing with the problem as opposed to um, how it might have been dealt with in the past, which would have been to keep it to yourself and uh, pull up your bootstraps and uh, deal with it. Um, we wouldn't say that if somebody had low blood sugar and it's the very same yeah. thing. Yeah. It, it's an or The brain is an organ, the chemicals can be imbalanced. Um, so it should be treated like a medical condition, just like diabetes. Sure. No, that's that's excellent. Um, so what do you think will actually cause a shift in people's mindset when it comes to mental health and being mentally healthy? You know, losing a leg, if, if you're a diabetic and you lose a leg, that may be a wake-up call to you to, okay, hey, I've got to change my diet and change my habits. Maybe I exercise more, maybe I eat less of the bad stuff. What's it going to take for people, do you think, uh, to in our society as a whole to accept mental health as an actual you know, health condition, mm -hmm. a health problem? Well, I wholeheartedly believe it's community. If your community isn't going to accept that there's a problem um, and there needs to be a resolution, where are you going to go with that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, if we positively banded together as a community, the National Guard is a community of a bigger community, but um, especially with Coma Guard, most of our citizens in the state are guardsmen. So I think community is, is very important. And once it's, it's is acknowledged, um, I think a lot of, a lot more change can come about. So. No, that's, you're exactly right. The National Guard is a big community. And not just being in the Guard, not just the soldiers, but the family members. 
of guardsmen, but also retirees right. or veterans of past. And um, Captain Doc is not to um, endorse the, the the VA or anything along those lines, but uh, you are behavioral health specialist at the VA, and I'm sure you see a lot of that with retirees and veterans as well, banding together as a community. Absolutely, um, and really bringing people out of isolation and into community and connection with each other is the biggest thing that we can do to combat not only the risk for suicide, but also for mental health conditions across the board. Um, you know, it's, it's sometimes said that the, the opposite of depression is not happiness, it's connection. Mm -hmm. And so the more that we can connect people together, that we can get them integrated into meaningful, valued community, however that looks for them, whether it's, uh, you know, being involved in volunteer work or with their family or uh, in a, you know, interest group in terms of like a kind of hobby or something that they that brings them into connection with other people or just hanging out with their fellow uh, guard members uh, at other times other than a drill um, you know faith communities there there are just so many possibilities for people to be in connection with one another and and that is one of the things that fights these susceptibilities to uh, mental health issues to uh, certainly thinking about taking one's own life so that's really what we want to emphasize is for people to to be connected with with one another um, I also think that one of the biggest things that we can do is to keep talking about it I mean I'm sure that you ask the service members that they probably get tired of hearing about suicide, about suicide prevention and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that keeping that as a part of the conversation, um, having regular briefings, having that information posted, with along with the uh, information about how to get connected because there's not a requirement that you go to your commander and let them know what's going on but if you're getting the the help that you need um, then that is lowering that risk um, for someone else to know, for someone else to, to be involved in, uh, you know, checking in, making sure you're okay. I mean, that's the, the idea of the battle buddy um, is, is so powerful for, for that reason. Yeah. Uh, is that we, the idea that we are all looking out for each other and that we value everyone um, and that we don't want to lose anyone. Yeah, and that's that's a very good point. Everybody is valuable, and you know you hear people say, "Well, in the military, you're just a number. You're not an individual. You're not a person." But that is not true at all. I've been in it for twelve years, and I've never known 
to not be part of a community, whether it's my unit, whether it's my squad, or even people that aren't even in my unit. But everybody has a lot of the same shared experience in the military. And that in itself lends itself to be a community. Um, but it is very personal, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, whether it's a church or even a coffee club, if you like comic mm-hmm. books, you find a comic book shop and you can go share those interests with another person and that's your community. Sure. So, um, yeah, there's lots of, lots of different ways that people can take advantage of that. That's really good. And I think like what my office is doing for the Suicide Prevention Month, what we want to push out is um, there'll be three different best practices for the month of September to go through. Uh, one of them will be a community. So what does the guard community look like outside of drill weekend? Um, so what we will be doing is challenging all the units to beat each other and maybe posting um, a picture of Twitter, um, you know, like how do you help your battle buddy? What does community look like? Is it the first sergeant getting everybody together at Chili's for dinner just as individuals, not as Joes, just to get to know one another. That's so important. We see each other 36 days a year. 36. It's not a whole lot. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes on in between. There's, you know, there's highs and there's lows. There's successes and there's failures. But um, we only know about the failures when it gets to a certain point. And sure. no one's no one's crisis looks the same for everybody. So um, building that community of what does that look like outside of just drill weekend? How do you guys get together? We're so spanned out now um, that it is hard to build that, but the relationships need to be built regardless if it's, you know, if you drill out in Lawton and but you live in Mustang, even if it's hanging out with Mustang guardsmen, somebody, mm-hmm. anybody, because you are part of a discourse community, which is the guard. Yeah, so yeah. that'll be our challenge to the state is to see who has the most uh, selfies or pictures with, with their battle buddies and, and what, what activities they're doing. So mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be challenging another state to beat us out that's with that. So yeah, that's um, really we're definitely trying to, to show what our camaraderie looks like and how Oklahoma does it. Outstanding. That's really good. Yeah. So let's talk real quick, real quick about um, suicide statistics. I know that um, uh, the National Guard versus active duty versus the reserves, National Guard tends to have a little higher uh, suicide rates than active duty. Um, there's this initiative that went out to raise awareness that was uh, 22 a day, and that's, that's a pretty common thing. I think that a lot of people know where uh, veterans or service members 22 a day commit suicide. Um, It's a very good um, way to raise awareness. However, some of those statistics are a little skewed. Uh, A lot of the study that came out from the VA that was addressing these numbers were looking at Vietnam veterans, the 60-year-old age group, uh, and that study was from uh, 1999 to 2011. Um, So it's a little dated and it's very specific group of people that will be attributed to the 22 a day. Um, Where are those statistics today as far as um, suicide in in the National Guard, suicide rates in the National Guard? I don't know that answer specifically, but I do know um, Oklahoma alone from 2005 
2015 um, went a 44.5% increase in 10 wow. years span. Wow. So uh, we went from 110 in 2005 to I believe 140, 40 something in 2015. That's per year. So it's a, yeah, mm -hmm. it was a 44.5% wow. increase in a 10 year span. It's a lot. It's a very staggering number. Actually, I think I lied about that. I think it was, it's, sorry, it's the entire guard as a whole is a 44.5% increase. Okay. Sorry. Okay. No, that's, that's all right with, you know, uptake and deployments and things like right. that from mm -hmm. 2001, you know, to, to present day that you could understand why the number may go up, but at the same time, what can we do to, to combat that? And it sounds like there are a lot of more initiatives and a lot more programs and opportunities for people to take advantage of, of uh, outreach to help them through that, that type of thing. Hi, this is Staff Sergeant Brian Schroeder with the OK Guard Show. It may sound blindingly obvious, but if a person talks about killing themselves or says they have no reason to live, even if they sound like they're kidding around, do not laugh it off with them or pretend like you didn't hear them or blow off their personal issues as a sign of weakness. This is their cry for help. If you feel they need immediate help, call 911 and reduce their access to means of self-harm. If a person speaks about feeling trapped, is a burden to others, or has an unbearable pain that they can't get rid of, use this as an invitation from them to start a conversation about what's going on in their life that makes them feel that way and just listen. Actions speak louder than words, just as behaviors in a person who may be at risk for suicide can clue you in to their intentions, even when they are silent. These behaviors include becoming withdrawn from friends and family, increasing their alcohol or drug consumption, or giving away the most prized belongings without a second guess. Changes in mood, anger, shame, aggression, loss of interest, and then a sudden improvement are also displayed in people who are considering suicide. If you feel like you're wanting to end your life, please know that you have a very large community of people who want to talk to you. There's a suicide prevention hotline at 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. Or if you would prefer, you can send a text to 838255 for the Veteran Crisis Line, or you can send a text to one 360 6188 for the Department of Defense Be Their Community. That phone number again to text to is 1-480-360-6188. Please know you are not alone in this world. We all have to rely on each other, including you, to make it through to tomorrow. This may be a really broad question, but why does somebody commit suicide? Why would somebody want to commit suicide? The loss of hope. There are some factors that do uh, come into play, um, depending on where your brain health is. And um, we do know that some key ingredients to this would be substance use, as well as possible opiates, and loss of hope and loss of job, as well as loss of a relationship. So if you had to come up with a formula, we look at those things and do our best to try to reach out to people who we see could be um, possibly falling into that category. Okay. 
and I'll also add just the the loss of your yourself like the sense of yourself your autonomy um, you know when you're under substance use or abuse you're obviously not yourself you're, you're not your your chemicals in your brain makes you an absolutely completely different person sure. uh, whenever you're going through a crisis or a critical time child loss marital loss job loss financial loss you're not in your right mind your serotonin and your dopamine it, it your so your your whole sense of self when you look at it in that perspective whenever you can't figure out what that is anymore um, you start to lose a little bit of hope and I think that's where the crisis really gets critical and it starts to begin yeah so if we can start putting measures in to prevent the domino effect as a community um, I think we would be a lot more successful at prevention than postvention um, so, you mentioned the concept of we all have a brain. Again, I'm going to go back to that. Okay. Uh, so, what is brain chemistry, and how does that work? If I just think I'm crazy, does that just mean that the chemicals in my brain aren't balanced, and so that's the reason why I'm uh, I, I feel the way that I do? Do you or want to speak to that, Doctor Dykus, or do you want me to? <laughs> um, I think that. We have to acknowledge that while we have made incredible progress in understanding how the brain works, how the different chemicals interact, and the sensitivity of the different parts of our brain to chemical levels and how easy it can be for those chemicals affected by all kinds of different factors, if they get thrown off a little bit, then it can dramatically change the way that the brain functions. Um, but we have to acknowledge that the brain is still very much a mystery. Um, it's an amazing device, an amazing organ, um, capable of flexibility and uh, adaptation. Um, and, but it's also, fragile in some ways um, and we know this uh, when we talk about traumatic brain injury I mean we have this you know sheath of bone around it um, and protective sort of cushioning inside a little bit but I mean even if we like you know knock our head against a door frame we can you know, see the immediate impact of that, um, and even more so for for more extreme uh, concussion experiences, that that can change uh, the way that the that the brain functions. So, I I think the uh, understanding that and understanding that we still don't know. Um, we still don't know why certain medications work very well for some people and and for others that they don't, or the different uh, dosage levels or frequency of of uh, dosages. Uh, this is what we do in behavioral health is still uh, as much art as it is 
science mm -hmm. um, because we're still finding our way. Um, okay. Like I said, we know so much more than we did 20, 30 years ago mm -hmm. um, because as Michelle mentioned, this is still relatively young science that we're uh, dealing with and that, and that we're trying to, to help people as we go along. And it also, um, there are some things that I think we can do in our everyday life though um, that help keep our stability up with regard to our brain chemistry. Um, one of the things, I'll always ask a soldier that I am talking to who might be in distress, when is the last time you ate food? And in most instances, I'll get yesterday. So a lot of times we're not eating like we should to give our brain what it needs to function correctly. So I always um, am preaching, I need you to eat something nutritious every two and a half hours if you can to help level out your blood sugar. I, and then we talk about trying to get enough sleep because sleep deprivation mirrors depression and other mental illness conditions and then we also talk about drinking your water and not getting dehydrated because dehydration can also mirror some of those things so if we take care of ourselves by doing those simple things yeah. drinking water eating nutritiously and sleeping as well as exercise mm -hmm. then we're going to increase our baseline significantly right that's good because your body is a very holistic machine. Mm -hmm. Every part of it affects every other part. So if you are hungry or if you are tired, that will affect that chemistry that's going on in your brain. So it's maybe just that one instance, you feel a little off or you feel like you're going crazy, but maybe a ham sandwich can cure that. Or some just eating an apple, mm -hmm. maybe because your blood sugar is low. So that's that's something really good and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a crazy outcast from society just because, means you have a brain right, <laughs> right. that's, right. that's a good thing just like everybody else you're not yeah. a robot no that's good so um uh are there any types of people or personalities or demographics of people that are more susceptible to having those altered states of mind or is that just like you said everybody has a brain so everybody is 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 the same is female are they more susceptible to having those shifts in chemicals or someone who's an auto mechanic versus someone who's a a doctor or you know a football player versus someone who plays tennis because their head gets knocked around a little bit more how how is how is that impacting different chemistry well there's a lot of different answers to, sure. that, mm -hmm. to that type of question um, there is uh, data to show that for some behavioral health issues that uh, such as depression uh, mood disorders uh, particularly that there are some hereditary aspects of that so that if you have that in your family uh, you may have a higher say, genetic loading to, uh, to develop some of those same issues. Um, it doesn't guarantee that, that it's going to happen because there's always uh, 
a uh, an interaction between the biological and the environmental aspects. So if somebody is pretty well protected in their environment, they may never manifest any of the susceptibilities that they might have due to uh, hereditary factors. Um, on the other hand, someone could not have any uh, hereditary factors for behavioral health, but that their experiences, um, and I would point out trauma as a, uh, an obvious one, um, whether it be in childhood, um, and regardless of what type of trauma it is, physical, sexual, emotional, um, and of course with our population we also have to be the, the exposure uh, to combat experiences and, right. and traumas that are experienced as a result of that um, can heighten someone's risk for developing behavioral health issues. Okay, so if there is um a family history of depression or even the unfortunate cases of suicide in, in family. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that an individual can recognize those traits in themselves or what, what are some coping mechanisms that they can use to ensure that they may not go down that path that their, their family member did or even if their family member is, is healthy or sustained through either medication or meditation or counseling or whatever sure. it is, what are some of those cop coping mechanisms that somebody could take advantage of? Well, the basic ones are the ones that Michelle just mentioned. Um, and I would emphasize sleep as uh, probably the single most important factor. There's just more and more research coming out to show how important sleep is. Um, and of course, it's kind of a catch-22 because some of the behavioral health issues that people struggle with involve difficulty sleeping. Mm -hmm. um, or even signs of depression right. would be One of the signs of depression sleep. would be insomnia, mm -hmm. um, trouble falling asleep, tr trouble staying asleep, um, dealing with nightmares that are, is disruptive to sleep. Um, but also in our society, we do not value sleep um, as, as much because we're go, go, go. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. you know, uh, there are certain aspects of the military that are play into that as well. Sure. Um, you know. Siesta would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there, I was, I was just reading uh, the other day that the suicide rates and ER visits uh, go up substantially in like the two or three days following uh, daylight savings time change. Oh wow! So mm -hmm. even just losing one hour of sleep um, because people don't usually go to bed earlier on the day that we spring forward mm -hmm. um, and lose that hour, that 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 increases people's susceptibility to wow. issues. That's interesting. Yeah. I also wanted to reiterate that community isolation is is not going to help an issue at all. Mm -hmm. And and if you're if you 
catch yourself isolating and not wanting to be around humans or other people, then um, that should be a sign that I need to get out and find community. And the more that we're amongst other people, um, then they can the community can uh, put their arms around them and help lift them up and get them help. So just not isolating is also something that someone can do actively. So with that um, not isolating and just being in the presence of other people, obviously the, that energy exchange is very, very positive and uplifting to other people. But what about isolating experiences? I know a lot of people when they go through a traumatic experience or, or go through an instance, they don't want to share some of that with other people, which is fine, and that's a personal preference. But does that help somebody else go through what they're going through, knowing that they're not the only person that is experiencing these things? Is that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we, we talk about risk factors and we talk about protective factors. So we want to try to reduce the, the risk factors either for behavioral health issues or suicide. Um, and we want to build up the protective factors. And that's what we're talking about in terms of using uh, coping strategies and, and that being connected, again, with, with other people, that sense of connection and community, being a part of something um, is protective for people who are susceptible. Um, the isolation part uh, is very challenging for people because they feel different than what they imagine other people feel like. Um, they have the sense, even though it's completely untrue, that no one else has experienced what they've experienced and so how could they possibly understand and so they find themselves isolated from even the people that they care about the most and, and get the most support from, uh, meaning family members um, and uh, close friends, that they just, well, they just can't understand. Um, and that is often experienced by service members coming back from deployment because they went through this, and I think we just have to say it, very abnormal experience. Mm-hmm. War mm-hmm. is an abnormal experience for yes. uh, the us as humanity. Um, it's unfortunately common, but it's still abnormal, in, meaning that it's very much outside the realm of normal human mm-hmm. experience. Yes. Um, and so... While it is true that someone who hasn't been through that may not be able to fully understand what the impact of that is, it does not mean that they can't understand that that person was affected by it um, and that they can't provide support and that they can't provide that sense of connection and community and integration um, into those valued uh groups whether they be a family or a community sure so that's that's why we want to emphasize how important that is yeah because a lot of experience is an individual thing going through life is, is an individual thing but we share those individualities as a community yeah. and i just wanted to add one other thing one of the other motivations for people who were going through these kinds of issues is that 
they want to protect the people that they care about from them because they realize that something's not right with them and um, that particularly for males, which make up the uh, majority of the guard, of the military, um, one of the primary ways that we're socially allowed to express our emotions is through anger and irritability and so that comes out um, you know it's much less acceptable for for a male to show emotion through crying or upset in, in that way and so it's what they've learned so it's what happens they feel like they don't have any control over it and so since they can't control it at least that's their perception that they're going to isolate themselves to protect other people from them. Okay. Um, so I think that that's something important to acknowledge as well. Yeah, it's a very good point. It's a very good point. Because um, it is hard to, if you've never been in a car accident, to empathize with somebody else that has been, right? How that may affect them wanting to get back in a car and drive again. Right. You may see it as, well, this do it. You're protected. You've got a seatbelt. You've got an airbag. You'll be fine. But that person may be extremely terrified to even get in a car. Mm -hmm. So um, how how would you recommend somebody that, that feels that they're in that position, they're in that, that headspace, that they're, they feel like they're doing the right thing by not sharing anything because they don't want to upset their family members or their community. But the more you internalize, the more that builds up. And then it can explode into, like you were saying, anger or, or whatever it may be. What would you recommend to somebody that feels like they may be in that position? Well, there's a number of options, uh, avenues available to them. Uh, there is uh, professional mental health care that's available. Um, Michelle, if you and, want to and speak And we to that. have, um, the Guard has done really well with providing all kinds of communication. So we have a, Oklahoma National Guard app now that you can pull down on your phone mm -hmm. and there's a crisis services uh, button that you can click on right there and it and it lists all of the helping agencies that have been put into place for the guardsmen and um, that way there's a safe place to reach out to um, it's also the crisis services button is on all the websites um, and then we have that um, critical incident behavior report that you can uh, just fill out right there online. On your phone, wherever you are. And that will then um, get linked directly to myself or another person on the crisis response team. Okay, okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about signs and symptoms of, of suicide. This is something that many may be familiar with um, but some people, even though you're familiar with something, it's, it's almost regurgitation. So it's good to, to hear and have that, um, have those things, that, that refresher in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some signs and symptoms of somebody who may be thinking about suicide? You go. You go. Okay. 
Isolation, we talked about that. Isolation. Um, and um, not enjoying their normal activities that, that, that they're used, you're used to seeing them uh, engage in. Um, and then we had the other factors. Um, if you see them using substances to excess, um, as well as um, having issues with a relationship, um, the loss of a significant relationship um, can be an indicator as well as loss of income. So if you, if you see a lot of factors um, in someone's life experience, it might be that you reach out and say, hey, how are you? Can, um, what can we do to help? And I'm just gonna piggyback off that. Um, a few other signs are if they're giving away their prized possessions. So uh, let's say they have a, a big award and they're trying to give it off to somebody or like Sergeant Major coins or whatever and they're trying to, and you know that that's prized and they're trying to give it away. Um, another um, big sign that we've seen a few times that nobody thinks of is when the person is just an isolated person already, that's just their normal behavior, and all of a sudden they want to go to lunch, and they want to have barbecues, and they want to, you know, just something very outside their normal behavior. Um, we've we've um, seen that quite a bit where they are more to themselves, and then one day something switches, and they, they want to be a part of everything, and they're very communi communicative, Sorry, that was hard. Yeah. Um, wow, they're very uh, you know into into the community and their friends, um, and it, and it's just so not like them. That's another very big warning. Okay. Um, okay. Anything that's pretty much different than the, their everyday person. Okay. So. And listening to the words that they're saying, um, they will often talk about that they. Uh, don't see any real future for them, that they, uh, you know, don't really have any hope that, that things are going to get better, and um, that, that they're, sorry, blank no, there, so, <laughs> God, <laughs> um, <laughs> brain gets ahead of my okay um, I would also say the purpose you um, as humans we have to feel we're living our purpose and that there is a reason we're here in the universe and on this earth and if you encounter someone talking about they really don't have any purpose in being here um, they don't see hope um, that's a key factor as well yeah loss of identity um, a lot of us uh, I would say the majority uh, of us build our identities often around uh, what we do, um, what value we provide to uh, the larger good. Um, and when that changes, if somebody gets injured and they're no longer able to work or do the type of work that they were doing before, um, which can also come with financial repercussions that they're not able to earn as much income, sure. which means that they're not able to provide as much for their family, um, that those can all have a negative impact. Um, I would also mention people with 
uh, chronic illnesses, um, particularly chronic pain, is something that we see at the VA a lot. Um, and that that's a factor that comes into play when people talk about thinking about ending their life um, is uh, in large part just to escape that pain that is ever present for them. Okay. So, I, oh, go ahead. I will say, you know, if you are in doubt of your battle buddy, ask and care when you ask, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing wrong with asking, um, are you thinking of suicide? There's, I just want to put that out there. So, so what's, what's the best way to go about doing that? If, if your battle buddy, your friend, your spouse is maybe exhibiting some of these things, it's hard for a lot of people to just go up and bluntly ask, are you thinking about killing yourself? It is. Um, so when I do the suicide briefs, um, we do them for the entire state, for every unit. I have them practice so they can f start feeling what it feels like. I, it would behoove all of our uniforms to s practice in a mirror, practice with your wife or your husband, because um, you don't know when you're going to have to ask that question. But it is very important that if somebody is thinking of suicide, to ask, are you thinking of suicide? It's very different when you say, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Well, in that person's head, no, they are not wanting to hurt themselves. They're wanting to be done. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. Um, and that's very important. The verbiage is very important. Um, so I would very much behoove soldiers to start practicing to say it because it might save a life. Yeah, and it's, it, it would be very intimidating. Very intimidating to go and, and approach somebody that way. Um, how, how would you address somebody that feels like by asking somebody that you are then contributing or maybe pushing them over the edge or giving them ideas when maybe they didn't have the idea, idea to begin with? So that is a proven false, falsified myth. Um, that, is, that is not the sense at all. There are two different uh, type of care. There's indirect care and there is direct care. Not every person, if you walked, if I walked up to you and said, are you thinking of suicide? And you said, yes, not every person is going to know what to do right then and there. That's more of an indirect person. Let me go get you the help that you need. Then there is direct care people uh, that are, it is in their nature to take care of it directly right then and there. And they know how to, to handle those situations. Um, so there are two types of people in the world, as long as we're, we're making sure that they're getting help for now and we can create a safe plan f for the future yeah. and instilling hope, that's, you know, that's what really matters. Yeah, because maybe that's where some of that animosity, or not animosity, but uh, anxiety comes in right. having to go ask somebody that because what if they do say yes? Right. Mm -hmm. and what that, do you do? And that is perfectly fine to say, you know what, I'm not experienced enough. I'm glad you were honest with me. Let's get you somewhere that you need to be. Okay. And that is, you know, that would be way more appreciated than, than, than somebody thinks. You know, people who are suicidal, they want to tell somebody. And if you, you know, studies have shown that they do, they just want somebody to ask because it shows that they're being cared about. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I, it's, I know it's a very hard question to ask, 
but they really want to tell you they want that that community that relationship of feeling like mm-hmm. they're cared about like they are a person and it does it's it's a validation that they it have is. a purpose still so they in some aspects will wait to see if someone asks it or if they even notice that they're down um, as a form of validation that they do have a purpose and that there is someone out there who can see that so it is actually a positive thing to reach out to someone because it does validate that they are important so how soon should somebody if somebody is thinking uh, about taking their own life when should they go talk to somebody when should you talk to somebody who thinks that they're going to i think as soon as you see something is not right as soon as you um as the person outside looking in i think as soon as it the bulb pops off in your brain Mm -hmm. i think it's it's action time and if you're not feeling comfortable with asking them yourself there is somebody around you that does not mind asking for you you know in place Mm -hmm. for you well and i i can tell you that um in situations when you mentally feel overwhelmed if it's even something that you that crosses your mind as i'm just done with this i am tired that's an indicator to yourself maybe i need to sit back and say have i gotten sleep have i eaten mm-hmm. am i dehydrated so that's a an initial trigger to yourself to say what am i not doing correctly to give myself enough chemical in my brain to think rationally about the situation sure okay that's all that's all very good uh very good so if i do want to go seek help for myself or i have a battle buddy who needs help themselves in the military everything goes through the chain of command right if you have an issue everybody knows about it and in this instance it may be something that you don't want a whole lot of people to know mm-hmm. how can reporting something like this either yourself or helping somebody else find help how does that impact either positively or negatively with your chain of command um so that's part of the reason why we created the critical behavior health incident report it's a very long title uh, <laughs> uh was partly so that way you don't have you don't have to go to your commander to, to say, hey, I'm having mental health problems. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a personal thing. D- then that stays there. Uh, we do have that. We do have the GKO and the public website. Um, if you hit the crisis button, and it will list all of our services from substance abuse, behavioral health, chaplains, um, family programs is in there as well. So there, there are avenues where if you want to do direct report, um, you can definitely get that contact information. If someone report. is not in the military, if it's a spouse or they, a family member, can they take advantage of the same? Yes, yes, it's on the public website, okay. so they can access that website, no problems. They can do it on their phone, download the Guard app, and that's all right there. Outstanding, that's, that's really good. Um, so we talked a, a lot about resources and in ways that people can get help. Is there anything, any other avenue of approach that we haven't discussed that you would like to mention? Well, one of the things that, that I thought of was in our increasingly digital world, there's 
you know, pretty much anything, there's an app for that. And in <laughs> fact, there are a number of apps uh, for uh, smartphones uh, that people can download um, from their app store, regardless of which platform they're on. Um, the VA has actually developed a number of applications uh, that address uh, issues ranging from PTSD to insomnia to parenting to um, and there's so many of them. Um, there's uh, depression, uh, stress reduction. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there's and and that's just the ones that the that the VA has developed for uh, veterans and for active duty uh, that are kind of specified for that. There's other uh, independently. Uh, developed apps. Virtual Hope Box is mm -hmm. one of the ones that comes to mind okay. uh, that uh, have really been very helpful for people if they're not quite ready to go and talk to somebody that they can get information, that they can get some, some guidance uh, that will help them start that process. One of the things I wanted to reiterate is that um, in my experience working behavioral health in the guard, I am seeing the um, environment change. There is less stigma than there used to be. And I'm also getting to see the evolution of a soldier reach out for help, get the help that they need medically, and then go right back to their MOS. And and there is no recourse everybody understands it it's a medical condition mm -hmm. and they're they're able to continue on with their mos and their career in the guard and so i am excited as a behavioral health professional to see that for themselves yeah, in this great. environment that's really great yeah, most definitely because we want to get them healthy for now so they can continue on their career without it ending ending abruptly early regardless if it's being discharged for any number of reason or a suicide completion. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we definitely want prevention instead of postvention. We need yeah. the people that we have. You know, imagine how much money we the guard, the army spends on an E five. We we don't want to lose that. We we need that in our force. Sure. So sure. Well, Captain Dykus and McCoy Michelle Burris, thank you so much for being with us today and talking about this very, very important subject matter of suicide awareness and prevention. And thank you for doing what you do and being there for people that really, really need uh, somebody to talk to or reach out or, or just to be a part of a community with. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone for tuning in to this month's episode of the OK Guard Show. Um, remember that this show airs every third Wednesday of the month. And also be sure to follow us on Facebook. You can like our YouTube channel mm -hmm. so you get all of the updates when we post a new episode. Um, we also would like to hear from you and get any good show ideas that you might have. We're pushing our first year is. Mm -hmm. A few months away yep. 
and we want to know how we're doing. So please be honest with us. You can leave notes on the YouTubes. You can leave notes on the Facebooks. On the Facebooks. Uh, or just shoot us an email. All of this contact information is in the show notes. So feel free to reach out to us and let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you want to hear about, too. Yeah. This show is for you. So what do you want to know? We can pull a subject matter expert in here and do a deep dive on that particular subject. So hit us up. We're here. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. The OK Guard Show is produced by the Oklahoma National Guard Public Affairs Office. Any mention of products or brands does not imply endorsement. All guests on the show are volunteers in an effort to inform and educate members of the Oklahoma National Guard, their families, retirees, potential recruits, and the community.